to Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we hear your word now, would it come with life and power to our souls? Make it like the seed sown in good soil and let it take root and yield fruit to your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's uh, often the case, isn't it, uh, that long car journeys become defined by the songs that we listen to to help pass the time. So your journey home at Christmas might be associated uh, with those Christmas classics uh, like the Pogue's Fairy Tale of New York or Slade's Merry Christmas Everybody or, obviously, Chris Rear's Driving Home for Christmas. Our previous summer holiday might be associated with the big hits of that year. And for us this year, our long car journeys uh, seem to feature Hanson's Mbop on repeat. Uh, Songs accompanying long journeys are not just an innovation of the 20th and the 21st centuries. Uh, The psalm we're looking at this morning, Psalm 121, is a song of ascents. It's part of a series of psalms sung by God's people as they travel up to Jerusalem and the temple. And just as the people of Israel sang this song, walking through the valley of the Judean wilderness on the way to the earthly Jerusalem, well, so it's a psalm for us to sing too, as we walk through the wilderness of this world on the way up to the heavenly Jerusalem. And with Jerusalem the destination, it should have been a journey filled with a growing sense of anticipation and excitement. They weren't just going to any old city. They were going to the holy city, the dwelling place of God. And yet, these aren't the only emotions they feel on this journey. In fact, we have to wonder if they're able to feel excited at all. One of the most legendary engagements in British military history is the Battle of Rourke's Drift. It's famously brought to life in the film Zulu, starring Michael Caine. It's a remarkable David versus Goliath tale with a group of just 100 or so British soldiers successfully defending their tiny outpost buried deep in a valley from a large and rampant Zulu army. Now, the film captures the build-up to the battle beautifully. As the Zulus approach, stomp, stomp, stomp. As the noise of the marching builds and builds, the soldiers begin to stop what they're doing and look up at the towering hills and the mountains that are all around them, looking for the source of the noise. And as the Zulus appear and line up along every ridge that overlooks their position, we see fear etched on the faces of the soldiers as they realise just how precarious their position is. It is utterly overwhelming. Overwhelming. 
And when the psalmist looks up to the hills there in verse 1, he isn't admiring their majesty as we might do as we look out at the Yorkshire Moors. Like those British soldiers, he's looking up with fear. He's recognising his vulnerability down in the valley, ripe for ambush, unable to see what lies around the next corner. He's wondering, will I make it? And if we're honest, uh, we all know something of what the psalmist is going through. What do you fear the most? What makes you anxious or keeps you awake at night? What are you concerned will prevent you making it home? Perhaps it's having your world rocked by a terminal cancer diagnosis or the unexpected death of a child or a parent. Maybe it's the relentless, deep darkness of depression or those uh, recurring doubts about whether or not God really loves you. Perhaps it's being worn down by the the barbed comments from your non-Christian family or your colleagues about your faith, making you think, is it worth it? Well, whether these fears are already a reality or what-ifs, while we're outside the safety and the security of the heavenly Jerusalem, danger and trouble are never far from us. And so it's in this context that the psalmist asks, from where does my help come? And the reply in verse 2 is an obvious and instinctive one for any Christian. My help comes from the Lord. We know it's the right answer. And yet we all also know that this is easier said than done, don't we? And it's not just you that knows that. It's not just us. All of God's people throughout history have experienced this. As much as we know we should look to the Lord alone for help, who has bound himself to his people, all too often we look elsewhere. So instead of seeking safety and security and comfort in the Lord, our hearts seek safety and comfort and protection in things we think we can control and hope will save us when things go wrong. So how much money we have in our bank accounts, our jobs, our homes, our loved ones. But in reality, uh, we expect too much of these things. They're fragile, they're changeable, and they may not be there when we need them most. They cannot defend us, and the relief they offer is at most momentary. They cannot deliver us safely to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so God has graciously put this question on the psalmist's lips to remind us why our help can only come from him and how he will look after us and bring us safely home to the heavenly Jerusalem. And the answer is that our help comes from the Lord because he is the maker of heaven and earth. Now, this isn't just a statement of fact. It's the proof of why the Lord can help us and keep us from our enemies. And everything else that the psalmist says uh, goes on to say flows directly from this statement. The key point that the psalmist is making is that as the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord is over everything. 
He rules and he reigns over every ruler and every dominion and every power on heaven and on earth. Everything that exists is the work of his hands, not anyone else's. And therefore he has supreme power over everything. Nothing is bigger or more powerful or more able to help than he is. And this means he cannot be overcome by anyone or anything else. He knows all things. He has power over all things. God is big and everything else is very, very small. But we need to take this one step further. For God the Father has put all things under the feet of Christ and has given him as the head over all things to the church. We might say then that everything outside the church is under Christ's rule and authority for the sake of those who are inside the church. He runs the universe in order that he might bless his church to guard it, to grow it, and to guide it. If we belong to Christ by faith, then we can be sure that we are safe under his care and blessing. He really does work all things for the good of those that love him. So this is why the Lord alone can help us. Why it is right that ultimately our trust is in him, not in anything else. But now the psalmist moves on to show how the maker of heaven and earth helps us. And at this point, it's worth just glancing down at verse three onwards and noticing how many times the, how many times the psalmist uses the word keeps. Now, fundamentally, the Lord helps by keeping us. Help and keeps are the key words of this passage. Help is that initial cry and call, and keeps is God's response. And the first way he helps us is there in verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. Now this might sound quite tame and unremarkable, uh, which it would, I suppose, if you're visualising this journey as a gentle walk in the park on a Uh, on a late summer's afternoon. But as we've already seen, the journey to the heavenly city is one that winds through the valleys and the hills. So we need to think about what it's like to walk somewhere like the Alps, where the terrain goes up and down, where the ground is uneven and insecure and unsafe, where a slip and a fall could be the difference between safety and danger, between life and death. So how important it is then that the maker of heaven and earth says he will not let your foot slip. He won't allow you to stumble and fall. He will keep you upright. This is consistent with what the Lord tells us elsewhere, that he establishes the steps of his people. He alone grants to us the stability we long for and seek in this world, and yet which proves so elusive. The maker of heaven and earth is actively keeping your feet planted and steady, however shaky or uncertain or precarious the path is beneath your feet. And the second way that he helps then is there in verses three and four. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord offers round-the-clock protection. Now, you might have experience of testing the boundaries of human endurance, perhaps because of a looming essay deadline or a long labour or travel plans that have gone wrong. In extreme circumstances, you might have managed to go maybe 36 hours without sleep, perhaps 48 hours. But there comes a point where we reach our limit and we crash into a long sleep. And our need to sleep is just one of the many, many reasons that our ability to keep someone safe is really very limited. Because when we sleep, what use are we? We're dead to the world. Our bodies shut right down. In that moment of deep sleep, we can't protect ourselves, let alone our spouse or our children or our friends. We're not keeping watch. Uh, We have no idea of what's going on around us or what danger might be approaching. But not the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's always alert. He never, ever takes his eye off you. And he will never be caught out because unlike us, he never needs to rest. He never grows weary. His eyes never get heavy. He never sleeps on the job. He's always there, constantly watching over you by day and by night, making sure that your foot will not be moved. And the third way that he helps us is there in verses five and six. Now, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor moon by night. Now there's a danger here that we we read about the sun and we think of a good old English summer. So that occasional warmth with a healthy dose of cloud and rain. Instead the picture here is of your journey to Jerusalem taking place under a powerful scorching Middle Eastern sun relentlessly beating down on you, sapping your strength, dehydrating you, and nowhere to shelter. The type of sun that you really shouldn't be out in, that presents a serious threat to your life. Yet here in verse 5 is the Lord standing between you and the sun's deadly rays, not allowing them to get through to you and cause you harm, but instead shading you and providing the shelter and relief you need by day, refreshing you. And just as he protects by day, so the Lord actively protects you by night too, for he shades you from the danger of the moon's glow. And this is slightly curious, isn't it? Protection from the sun makes sense, but why do we need protecting from moonlight? Well, World War II bomber crews had had much to fear during their long missions over Germany. Uh, night fighters, anti-aircraft guns, and powerful searchlights. Now, these lights wouldn't just search the sky, uh, uh, sweep over the sky, hoping to find a target. They were radar-controlled, which meant that the number of uh, searchlights could lock on to a single plane thousands and thousands of feet above. And once those planes were trapped in the light, illuminated for all to see, then the night fighters would swoop in and shoot them down. Now we often, quite rightly, associate darkness with danger. 
But when you want to sleep, or when in a dangerous land where you don't want to be seen, where you don't want those pursuing you to find you, then you need darkness. And so the Lord provides that shade so that when your head hits the pillow, you can sleep confident in the Lord's help and protection, whatever the night holds. So what does all this mean? Well, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Everything that the psalmist has said so far has been building to this, this remarkable promise that the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Recently, uh, we've been making a few changes in our dining room. So several bookcases are out in order to create some space and wall-mounted shelves are in uh, so the piano can just slot in underneath. But when the box of shelves arrived, it was pretty clear that it had had a rough journey. So the box was badly ripped. It was already partially open. And once I'd opened the box, I could see that the issues weren't just on the outside. The shelves were bashed up badly damaged, and they were, frankly, unusable. The packaging was poor, and the protection that it offered just wasn't good enough to get the shelves to me in one piece. But the protection that the Lord offers and promises and gives to those who trust him is good enough to deliver you home all the way to the heavenly city. No adversity is too great. No enemy is too powerful. No circumstance is too difficult. His protection and care is not dependent on the scale of the threat to you. So he won't only preserve you when the situation you face is small and safe enough for him, or when it's serious enough, or more on some days and less on others. He protects and preserves in the little things and the big things, in the ordinary and the extraordinary. Nothing can happen to you in this life which will change your final destination. It doesn't matter what you're doing, uh, where you are or what what you're doing in this life, whether you're at work or at home, uh, whether you are laughing or weeping. While you're travelling to the heavenly city, the Lord goes with you to watch over you and shelter you and bring you safely home. And it's not time-bound. So it's not only today, but not tomorrow, or only now, but not in 25 years. It's now and forever, with no interruptions, with no conditions. There is no end to the Lord's care for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's maybe at this point that questions we might have about this psalm move from the background to the foreground. Questions we cannot ignore anymore. Is it really true that the Lord does keep us from all evil? If we've suffered physically or emotionally at the hands of someone else, if we suffer daily from the darkness of depression, if the life of a loved one has been cut short, have we really been kept from all evil? Has God broken his promise? Has God been asleep on the job? 
But these are, are good questions. They're important questions, especially in a fallen world where we're surrounded by sin and sickness and sadness and suffering. But no promises have been broken. God hasn't been caught napping. The outworking of the Lord's care and protection is not that we will glide through this life in a protective bubble, untouched physically and emotionally. Just as our Saviour was not saved from physical suffering, nor are we. But he is promising that if our trust is in Christ, then we no longer need to fear the root cause of all evil, sin, and its consequence, death. We are kept in an ultimate sense. For when we die, we live. At the cross, Christ paid for our sin. He conquered death and he defeated Satan and he emptied him of his power over us. All those things that threaten us most threaten us no more if we belong to Christ. While we will still encounter trials and tribulations of every kind in this life, as we face those challenges, we do so in the hands of a saviour who came, who fought, who suffered for you who entered the shadow of Gethsemane and the horror of Calvary for you, who uttered the cry, it is finished for you, who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven for you, where he intercedes even now for you. Whether or not you make it home is not about the strength of your grip on Christ, but is entirely about the strength of his grip on you. And nothing in, heaven or, uh, nothing in heaven or on earth can take away the life that we have in Christ. As Paul says to the Colossians, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is secure. He will hold you fast and will not let you go. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. So this psalm reminds us that, though exalted, Christ is not distant or absent from his people. No. By his spirit, he is present with his people and will be until the end of the age. And that means that as you walk through the deep, dark valleys, he walks with you to preserve you, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to equip you, to help you until you are safely home. So tomorrow, when we feel anxious or vulnerable, when our fears rear their ugly head once again, when we feel like the world is pressing in on us and we come face to face again with our inadequacies and our limitations, when we feel completely overwhelmed by our circumstances, when we wonder how we can possibly keep going, if we will ever make it home, we could take great comfort from this psalm and we can have it on our lips. As we travel to the heavenly Jerusalem, as we await and long for its safety and to be with Christ, where does our help come from? With great confidence, you can say, it comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who is keeping me, and will bring me safely home. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks that the, the journey home to the heavenly Jerusalem is not one we walk alone, but one in which you, the maker of heaven and earth, are at our side, establishing our every step. We thank you that Christ is both a rock and an anchor, and that his work of salvation is completely finished. Continue to grant us, therefore, through your word and by your spirit, a greater understanding and deeper assurance of what it means that he holds us fast and will not, indeed cannot, let us go. In Jesus' name, for his sake we pray. Amen.